As John said, we're going to go over a couple of the exercises that uh, the Stratot team had to do last month. Uh, we met in the middle of March for three days, and we did a bunch of exercises, and we got a bunch more to coming up, I'm told. So, but the two that we did uh, that we want to share with you today are the uh, Turning Point Profile and the Four Helpful Lists. So the Turning Point Profile it doesn't require a lot of participation, just kind of letting you know where we went with that. And that hopefully will prepare us to do the next piece, which there will be a lot of participation on your part. We're going to break out into sessions, and we're going to try to do the four helpful lists. But we'll be playing off of this, all right? So these are the folks that were involved with the whole process. And as John said, this is a six-step process. And these two exercises were part of the first step, which is perspective. And uh, there are several tools that the Stratop process has that um, helps us get a certain perspective that's helpful to help us move on. And the two that we're going to be going with are the first two, the turning point profile and the four helpful lists. And um, I like John's quote this morning. I'm going to forget, though, what it was. It was, perspective is... A wonderful atmosphere, John? A lovely atmosphere. Which just, I, you really have to kind of think about that and say, yeah, I mean, we all have our perspective, and sometimes it's not the same as someone else's perspective, but it's still valuable just the same. And this is a hugely important step that we try to come to some sense of what perspective we do have. And even with our small group of what we had, 13, 14 people, you know, we had some disagreements about you know, what we were seeing as we were kind of looking back. But still, it was a very helpful process. So the turning pro point profile helps us to see how we got to where we are. So we're looking back. And then the four helpful lists, when we get to that point, is where are we now? Are, where are we now? So we're going to kind of play off of the profile when we do the lists. And then part of the list will be coming up with these core issues will help us kind of move forward. So, we didn't go this far back. But I thought it was interesting. 1886 is when uh, Fifth got started. And uh, it was a small little church with 58 families in the southwest side of Grand Rapids. For those of you who need some uh, bearing, there's Founders is not far away. Anyway, they, you know, for the first 25 years or so, all the services were in Dutch, and these were Dutch immigrants. But at some point, they came to realize that they need to move beyond that. And John has used this ex example several times, where they were one of the first churches in the city, uh, RCA, CRC churches, to turn to English because they wanted to speak the language of the community. And so as we look back on that, that gives us a sense of perspective of where we were, and that helps us to be more that way now. So that gives you an idea of how helpful it is to kind of look back. So that was one of John's first things when he first came here and visited us. Uh, this is the church in 1986. Carol and I came here right before this point, towards the end of 1985. And this is the way the church looked then. Not too much difference, except now with this front here. This is the staff that was there. It's got Jay Weiner and Dick Doden here. Wonderful team. Jay loved to preach, and, and uh, Dick loved to pastor. 
and I don't think the other ones, they, they left to do the other thing. So they were perfectly matched. Um, and you see we have Jack Cooper here. You don't see this, but he's the custodian, which I thought was, he's a wonderful servant leader. Yes, Greg, absolutely. Um, and I thought, well, that's just really interesting. So that was the staff that was here when Carol and I first came here. And guess who was there? <laughs> Randy Waldheis. Okay, this is 1986. The guy has already been there for 11 years. He's the most senior person on staff right now in 1986, and he's still here. So that's pretty amazing that he keeps on going. All right, so quantitatively, we have four measures that aren't necessarily the best measures, but they're the pretty much the most common measures that we use for the growth of a church. And just to use an alliteration, uh, bucks, bucks, and baptisms uh, is what you might hear, you know, that described as. So it's a quantitative measure. And um, back in 1986, we had 386 people worshiping. When they say the number, that's how many people actually show up on average per Sunday. And then about $379,000 a year was the budget. And uh, I don't exactly know how many baptisms. When we say baptisms, we're talking about adult baptisms because that's an indication of the impact that you might be have on reaching the lost, not like children's baptism, although that's important too. I do know that there was at least one baptism because I was baptized that year because this is the first and only church I've ever been a part of. I uh, became a Christ follower as an adult, and they said, you got to get baptized, because you can only be baptized in a congregation. So I know I was one of them. I don't know how many others there were. Um, so in the 90s, this is uh, a picture from the 97. This is the staff. We didn't get a lot of information, because as we kind of thought back about this, Andy Allen and I really we're the only people that, you know, kind of reached that far back to, you know, depend on our memories. We had uh, Chris Vandersee and we had Laurel Danielson, uh, and they gave us some good insight on the conditions of the infant nursery. <laughs> but we figured that was kind of sketchy because they were probably napping most of the time. So we didn't get a lot out of the 90s. Um, we did have a, a, a theology of, on tap of sorts back then, um, although we tended to deal with more, the more fundamental issues of faith, if you know what I mean. Maybe some of you do, some of you don't. Anyway, this is the table that shows. <laughs> uh, this table shows you over the last 20 years the different changes in the staff that we had. All right, you see at the top we have Jim Zinger and then John Sherrill, Dick Doden, Bruce Mulder, Josh Wall, and so on and so forth. And what I want to do is I want to keep that visible, so on the subsequent slides it'll be up above. But there is some effect that these key players have, right, in, in the life of the church. So I want to keep that, uh, keep you mindful of that. I have Randy Waltheis at the bottom with an infinity sign next to him. <laughs> I figured the guy's not going anywhere. Probably never will. <laughs> we certainly hope not, right? Anyway, so there you see it there. It's the top. But what we did is we had, now this is not what we had during our strat op um, exercise, but I'm just making it into a slide so that we can see that in three-year chunks, uh, we had it all on the wall and, you know, with a little flip chart paper. But I'm, I'm showing you in three-year uh, chunks so that you can see where we went with this. 
And we had vision, leadership, con well, congregation, culture, uh, spirituality, and then the three uh, uh, quantitative measures uh, of, a, of a growth of a church, the, the, the butts, bucks, and baptisms. And there was two very important reports right there towards the beginning of that 20-year period. Um, the first one was the Worship Task Force report in 1998, um, which, you know, in this age of texting and whatnot, we might have chose a different name for that. But, um, and then we also have the Focus Your Ministry report in 2003. And those are both very important because they set the tone for the next several years uh, of, of, of where we went. The, the, uh, the Worship Task Force uh, focused on the worship wars, which is raging uh, at that time. And then the Focus Your Ministry report tried to get some kind of direction out of all of this. Um, 1998 is when that uh, report came out from the Worship Task Force. You can see we had Chuck Damon as a chairman, Craig Piersma, Ed, Edna Claire Schooley, Kathy Thompson, Mark Troyer, Martin Walkis, Jim Zinger, they were all on that. And as you look at their reasons for not having two services and for having two services, you think, hmm, we've not come that lot far in 20 years. Um, just a couple of reasons for starting a new service to help us better reach the loss, bring revival to our congregation, minister to more people. There's some there. And then reasons for not starting a new service. We're not big enough. We're not growing. It'll cost more, require additional staff. So they were going through all this. Um, but what they were really doing was trying to find some way to do it address this war of worship. Um, you had your traditional and you had your contemporary and it was, it was going on. So that was um, where they went with that. They came up with some unanimous decisions which were to have two services, to have one be contemporary, have the other one traditional, and definitely not have a blended service. At that point, a blended service apparently was not palatable. Um, and then on 2003, with the Focus Your Mission uh, project, I mean, it was a big project. A lot of people were involved. There were five uh, task force, facilities and finance, congregational ministries, member involvement, vis vision, and outreach ministries. And uh, like I said, a lot of us were involved with that. And one of the things that came out of this was the four GCs. So the uh, Grow in Christ, Grow in Community, Great Commission, and Great Commandment. And that kind of stayed with us for quite a while. Although, interestingly enough, in about four years it evolved so that we ended up having two mission statements, that one, and then Fifth Reformed Church is a kingdom-building church. So there was some confusion as what our mission really is. And when we did our uh, self-study, when we were getting ready for a new pastor, uh, Greg Bruni, who was the head of the leadership piece of it, kind of brought that piece out and said, we have more confusion than not. And you know, outside it says where there is no vision, uh, the people perish. Well, where there is two visions, it's not that much better. <laughs> so we kind of were wrestling with that during this time. And then there was this accountable, um, accountable leadership model where we thought, well, if you can set everything up and have something or a person or a council accountable, that things will get done. So we had our four GCs here, and then we had all this mess coming out of it. Had, well, all these councils going to take care of this and that, and everything's going to play out, and everything's going to be wonderful. It didn't happen. This thing never, never really got off the ground. And it was a focus on programs about 20 years late. You know, we are in a new paradigm. We're in a new model now. And we didn't realize that at that point. So this is 2003, 2007, that period of time. 
Um, 2004, we got another report that was very influential, uh, the Executive Council report. And um, we, on that, we had Jim Zinger, Steve Eldersbelders, Kevin Reinbrandt, Jeff Clark, and Craig Piercema seems to always find himself in the right spot at the right place. But anyway, they came up and they said, we need an executive pastor in addition to Jim Zinger, a pastor of calling and congregational life, director of education ministries, and that's when Bert uh, Branius came in, and then a director of operations and staff support. But anyway, you can see what they were thinking, that we can maybe get around this by, you know, getting some more staff. So that was 2004, and then we got Bert Branius and Bert... Uh, ben Ingebrigtsen came on. And then 2005, look what it says here, misbehaving. Well, apparently not everybody was really on board with this move, and there was some trouble really within the staff. There was a schism within the staff, and they started to kind of form, you know, groups that uh, kind of went one way and then the other way. And that, as you can imagine, had some real effect on the, you know, on the life of the church. So that was, you know, and I think that might have been, you know, the beginning of Jim Zinger wanting to step out, and then a year later, Ben Ingerbretson wanted to be done with it as well. So we found ourselves in 2006 with no leaders, with no senior pastor, at least. And that's when we did the search committee, uh, or the, the, uh, yeah, the search team, and I think we went for like 11 months, and uh, four or five of those months we spent in a self-study, lots of uh, reflecting trying to get some perspective, right? Um, we did a survey, and we found that we have all kinds of strengths, and, and we've always known that about Fifth. We, have, we are a gifted uh, congregation, but the two major weaknesses that came out was managing conflict and no unity, and there was a sense that there was no unity. Um, this, by the way, is Sophie, and that's uh, a character that was created by my daughter, Claire, and whenever we did an, uh, an update, we used Sophie. So you can see that she's reading mail in the fifth mailbox. And then during that time, we also did a natural church development survey. And that kind of gr grades the church on several different levels. And you can see that we have very low in empowering leadership and passionate spirituality. This was in March of 2006. We don't have a leader. Probably not going to have a high score there. But also passionate spirituality. So, you know, we had some, a decent measure saying that we're in trouble. And then we moved on to 2007, and the search process actually did produce someone, guess who? John Sherrill. In September, I think, 2007, you came, you did your first visit, and I think we had several times that people come and, and, and see what you're all about. Um, what we thought was interesting is that people were at a very vulnerable time that they were able to acknowledge pain, they were ready for some healing, there was some hope there. Um, and, and we really felt like John was the right person for the right time. And I think the congregation was very uh, receptive. And then right away, you know, uh, with the new leadership, and, and, and not just John, but with the structure and all that, we had uh, some significant changes in our structure and the way we run things, the consistory, instead of having, you know, 30 people, we would have smaller groups that do a certain thing. Um, I was the chair of the elders at the time, and we had a church discipline issue. And that was very helpful for us as elders because that's a very old function of, of an elder board, but it's something that we never did. And it kind of helped recalibrate what we are supposed to be as elders. So there was things like that was happening all through here. So this is all times of growth here. 
Um, we decided, I think, at some point to go back to a one service, probably to recalibrate and think about things. We had the ad board, which is taking care of more executive sort of things, and that made things more efficient. Um, and, and for the most part, people felt like these were healthy changes. Uh, this was uh, one of the last little uh, updates that we had to show that John Sherrill was meeting all of these criteria, and we had a, basically sort of a contest or whatever, and the kids were all drawing all these different traits that John Sherrill had. So, you know, he's got, he's setting vision, and he's got inspiring leadership, and he's biblical preaching, and he's got a servant's heart and dynamic personality. We really rolled out the red carpet for John. And it was worthwhile. So he, we did that same test again, that uh, natural church development. Here's the results, but you'll see better when you put them side to side. 2006, John came in 2007, 2008, and then, then this is 2009. Look what happened with empowering leadership from almost last to almost first. And then passion, or, um, inspiring church worship services, you know, up real high. So there was some real excitement going on, I think, uh, during that time, and then it was obvious by some of the tests that we were doing. In 2012, we did a different type of uh, survey called Reveal. It has a different unit of analysis where we're looking at people versus the church. And overall, satisfaction with the senior pastor's effectiveness is sky high. An arrow shows you that it's way above benchmarks, and this talking about the rest of the country. But our overall satisfaction with the church's role in spiritual growth, quite low. So having a, an amazing a senior pastor is not quite enough, is what we saw. And then 2010, we got a new vision, growing disciples to make disciples, and we started playing off of that, gave us some more focus. Um, 2014, Bruce leaves, and I think Josh comes the following year. And I have here grief, and there was a sense that there is some adjustment going on, a kind of like, it was, it was, it was difficult time. And I know this to be a, a, a truism, but whatever change there is, whether it's, whether it's a, a bad change or a good change, you're going to go through the, the, the steps of the cycles of change, one of which is grief. And we were kind of going through that at that time period. Uh, and that brings us up to this last little block, which is 2016. We started developing the leadership community. Uh, our strata team thought maybe the election might have an effect on the congregation. Not sure why. Um, and then, uh, I've been ignoring the numbers here, but they've been staying pretty much the same, and now it's kind of gone up a little bit as far as how many people are worshiping. Um, but then in 2017, uh, we thought, okay, our numbers are up. Let's try the two services again. However, that was the same year that we had the construction going on. We didn't have quite the response to the project we knew that we were hoping. Right, Annie? Um, so, you know, there was some stuff that was just kind of need to be rethought out. And so now this year, earlier this year, then we've gone back to the first service to kind of, or to one service to kind of rethink things. But I have here uh, a strategic pivot. What that means is that John is getting us to kind of look outward as opposed to only inward, you know. I mean, we are a friendly church. We are a warm church. We are a wonderful church, and we want to keep that up, especially us as elders. We've been talking about that. But we also need to have that focus so that we can create these what they call missional communities, you know, these places, the, 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 the places that you're naturally at and to make that a missional community. So this is, this is a difficult thing to do. Uh, we called it a high challenge here in spirituality, but we think it's, it's, it's the right time for it. And then this year, we've, we're, we're sensing a sense of openness and hunger for this sort of thing, and we're hopeful that that's really true. But that's kind of where we're finished at now, 2018. 
And then just, you know, if, if you look at the Woodland Church and you're looking at New Ground, you look at City Chapel, they're all like gearing up this year to, you know, uh, to do great things. So that's also a very positive thing too. Then if you look at the thing as a whole, and I did the color coding and I know that kind of a, uh, sways your thinking on it and I know that it's a subjective thing. But if you look at the 20 years, like this first year, we really, really tried, I say, mighty efforts to redirect. We, we, we had the worship task force, we had the focus of ministry, we had the executive council, we were doing everything we can to turn things around. And by the time we got 2005, 2006, things kind of fell apart. That's why I use that as a red, epic fail. And then with John coming on board, we started gaining perspective. Um, well, this gaining perspective was really the self-study. We went for like a year and a half without anybody. And then we got John, and then we feel like we had healthy changes, and we got a new vision. So that was all helpful. After that, we had a little grieving period because of the changes, and for instance, Bruce leaving, um, and some disruptions and grief came out of that. So that's why that's in dark blue. And then that, now the 2016, 2017, 2018, you can see that we're starting to kind of get some growth, starting to get some... Um, activity. That's the profile, and you kind of play off of that profile as you're thinking about it. That gives you some perspective as we go into this next exercise, which is the four helpful lists. All right. And Josh, you're going to come up and help me with that, aren't you? <laughs> 